Welcome to the Digital Solicitor Podcast with me, Christina Grasco. Today, I'm handing over the podcast to Craig Taylor's recent excellent forum on the Leap Best Practice Standard for Conveyancers. The Leap Best Practice Standard was set up four years ago as an accreditation mark of excellence achieved by law firms using Leap's innovative technology. Through its use of independent, remote and specialist audits, achievement of the standard shows clients and stakeholders that law firms deliver a gold standard of legal work in conveyancing, whilst using the most up-to-date and innovative legal technology. The first annual BPS forum was held recently to celebrate the success of the standard to date and to show new LEAP firms how they can be a part of the standard and what's required. Special guests included Rob Halstone from the Bold Legal Group and Brian Bomer from Lockton's PI Specialist Insurers, who both offered excellent insight into what the next 6 to 12 months may hold for conveyancing solicitors and how achievement of the standard can help firms in the current rather hawkish PI market. If you have any questions from today's podcast, then please contact me as usual at digitalsolicitor at leap.co.uk. And now, over to Craig. Good afternoon to everybody and welcome to today's forum on the Leap Best Practice Standard for Conveyancing in the Digital Age. Sincere thanks, first of all, to everybody that's joined us today. I appreciate it's a, a hectic and frantic time. I'm uh, Craig Taylor and I'm the Director of Relationship Development here at Leap. Over the next hour, I'm going to introduce you to the key features and benefits of BPS, including some of the recent additions. So this will be a useful refresher for existing members, as well as an insight for other Leap conveyancing clients interested in joining the standard. My previous background and experience is across the property industry. And most recently, over the last four years, uh, my focus has been working uh, closely on the delivery of technology within the legal sector. So many attendees will know me through my role at Leap, where I work closely with firms to enable and empower increased efficiencies within conveyancing through the utilisation and our integrations. During the session today, we're going to be looking at various elements of best practice. So the first thing we'll be looking at is what is best practice and what are the requirements for joining and on ongoing participation. So an important note and something I always forget to mention, particularly for the potential new members, is that membership is free and inclusive of your LEAP licence. So there's no barrier to entry for anybody listening today. We'll then be looking at the audit process, how that works and what it looks like and what it looks at. We'll also be looking at the potential implications to your professional indemnity insurance. I think there's a number of members today online that have been quite savvy in that regard already and make good use of this aspect of the standard. Uh, we'll then be looking at using the accreditation as a sales and marketing tool to help demonstrate your service excellence and help you win new business as we come into the next couple of weeks and come out of the stamp duty holiday. Obviously, that's going to become more and more important. So we're also going to be looking at some new features, which include Leap's potential lead generation on behalf of members. I'll also be joined by some contributors today. Some are live, some are recorded, and we'll be closing with an update from our special guest, Rob Howlstone from the Bold Legal Group. So to get us started, I wanted to explain where the idea came from for best practice and also what we're looking to achieve. When I joined the business about four years ago now, I was tasked with enabling and empowering leap conveyancing firms to utilise the software more fully and in the way in which it was designed. It was a bit of a sort of a bugbear of mine to see so many law firms paying for market-leading cloud software and either not using it or just using the basic functionality 
functionality. And I think we all know that the, the true benefits come from front-loading as much information as possible so this can be utilised again and again throughout the process and also across multiple platforms with the various integrations that Leap provide you. So looking at this in the COVID era with many team members working remotely, having a single source of truth has never been more important to a firm. And I think modern law firms can't operate effectively where half the information is managed electronically and the remainder is in a paper file in a spare bedroom somewhere or, or stored remotely. This is the digital era after all and digital conveyancing is a real thing. So the first step that we took was to reference the various steps of a conveyance and, and map this back across Leap, ensuring that firms were aware of how and where they could manage every aspect of the process, ensuring consistency in approach and also in outcome, as well as supporting compliance along the way, i.e. we're trying to create a standard. I then took a, took a look at what was available in the industry as far as accreditation was concerned. And I, and I think for any SRA firms with us today, CQS was really the only recognised badge in the industry. And that was designed primarily to promote first-class service on behalf of the mortgage lenders. And I think CQS didn't really provide or promote some of the benefits which I really wanted our members to, to receive. And in fairness to, C, to CQS, they'd have a, a tough job providing what we provide because they've got thousands of um, members and they're all using an array of different software or no software at all. So it dawned on me that our starting position was one of strength. And the one thing I knew for sure that was all 2,500 Leap firms had access to the same piece of cloud technology. So we could really leverage that fact. So we needed to set some basic requirements. Um, it's important that any standard does have requirements and it has teeth as well. To become a BPS member, we wanted to ensure that the requirements were based on something we knew something about, which ultimately is Leap. So we set some basic ground rules and these were all conveyancing files must be opened in Leap, which is common sense, hopefully. All data and documents to be managed in Leap. All searches and products to be ordered via the Leap integrations. And this was potentially the biggest point of failure in the process because it's all very well using Leap perfectly to manage data. But that effort was really wasted if you're then sort of rekeying information, potentially in error, into third-party sites, and then having to manually record the results and disbursements back into Leap. I think digital conveyancing in today's age means that you should be able to enter data once and then use it seamlessly throughout the process, utilising the full ecosystem, along with its integrations, provides enhanced efficiencies, which I like to call the entourage effect. So the fourth and probably scariest idea was to consent to external file audits every quarter. And I think the general expectation of an audit is that, you know, you get a scruffy middle-aged man or woman sat in the corner of your office, rifling through files, disrupting your day. And again, the cloud's a marvellous thing because uh, we were in a position to simplify the process whilst not watering down the results. And the main motivation behind the audits is to provide uh, an, an independent second pair of eyes. And I think that's much needed needed in a small or medium-sized law firm. We don't have necessarily that sort of structure or that resource internally. And to ultimately provide a, an early warning system, it, it's much better for any firm to have a potential problem identified through a voluntary independent audit before it becomes a regulatory issue rather than the regulators identify this. At the end of the day, Leap is a software provider and we've really got no place conducting audits. And that's why we decided to outsource that process to a recognised and specialist provider. So we've been working with the Centre for Assessment and this relationship is arranged and managed by a long-term long -term partner and friend of Leap, a chap called Paul Wilkinson, who's with us today. And Paul essentially is our compliance guru at Leap. Paul helped build the audit process and liaises between Leap, the Centre for Assessment, and also the auditors that are involved in this. I actually met with Paul a, a couple of weeks back and asked Paul to explain how the process works. So I'm just going to quickly play that back to you and uh, see what Paul had to say. My background is very much in compliance. I've been involved with law firms for about the last 20 years and I've been working with Leap for over three years, developing their compliance platforms for the Leap products. And that resulted in us devising the best practice standard for conveyancing. 
very early on, Craig, we identified that we needed to have an audit body that was recognised by our clients and that the companies would feel comfortable that it was an independent audit that was taking place. And the obvious candidate for that was the Centre for Assessment because they were auditors for the Law Society for the Lexel standard. And we approached them to provide auditors with us for the best practice standard. And that's why we chose them as the auditing body. The actual auditors themselves have to be experienced conveyancers and specialists in auditing because of the nature of what we're actually doing. And so that we put together a team of auditors and that's all controlled by the Centre for Assessment. All the information is protected and it's saved and we don't have access to it within LEAP. We just know the outcome of an audit. We don't know the individual reports that are generated. They're confidential between the auditors and the individual firms. So important for us was that they had relevant experience, both in terms of compliance and also in terms of conveyancing, because we're looking for particular expertise in that area. And we've selected three auditors, one of whom is the lead auditor for Lexel accreditation for the Centre for Assessment. The other auditor is involved with conveyancing, and in particular with the Council for Licensed Conveyances as an external examiner for that. And one of our other auditors is a specialist mediator, civil and commercial mediator specialised in property mediation and is also a former practicing solicitor for over 30 years. So our auditors have a vast amount of knowledge and experience of the actual practice as well as the requirements for the standards. They look at different aspects of the conveyancing process and they're conducted in such a way that we can remotely access with permission of the firm a license that's been granted by LEAP purely for the purposes of auditing. So the auditors can then log on to the individual firm, select out the files they wish to audit and then the audit can commence. And the reports are then generated by the auditors and sent back directly to the firm from CFA. So in the Q1 audit, we're looking at the client care, the onboarding, the transparency rules and, and the, the fact that we've actually conducted risk assessments and management for, of, of the file. So it's looking more at the process of taking on the client and whether or not we've actually done that correctly and ensuring that we're all recording the relevant information, which is very important because that is what required should an external audit ever come in to look at the records. Once we've done that audit and we've moved on to the second phase, we're then looking at the search, the investigation of title, the process of the conveyance up to exchange. And that's normally a Q2 audit. And that's concentrating on the process of the conveyance and whether or not we've followed the protocol, whether or not we've actually done things in the correct order. And then we're moving into the third phase, which is the Q3, which is completion and the preparation before completion and what's actually taking place in the actual conveyancing process following exchange going through to completion. And in the final audit, in the Q4, we look at the post-completion and whether or not we've actually archived the file, how we're taking care of it, how we're responding to the client, have, have we actually looked at the housekeeping of the process of conveyancing. So we're looking at a holistic approach to the whole thing. And bearing in mind, it's being conducted by people who are experienced in this so that they can see things that would normally not necessarily be obvious to somebody who's less experienced.
the main benefit that firms get from the audit is an external point of view, an independent point of view on how well they're doing. And quite often, it's a surprise to them that things may not necessarily be operating quite as smoothly as they thought they were. And it's also an opportunity to help contribute to the firm to point out areas where they may benefit from actually doing things in a more transparent way and more obvious way. And as a result of that, I think it generally helps to overall improvement for the firm in their convincing processes. It's been really exciting and interesting to see the feedback that we get from the clients. And in particular, there's a natural reticence to criticise a firm, which we're not doing. We're only ever giving people advice and just saying these are improvements that you might find useful within what you're doing. And I think the vast majority of firms are very, very grateful for the advice that's actually been given to them. They find it very helpful. But in particular, it may bring up something that they then want to do a training need or they see some area where they could improve their processes and so we often get a thank you email back from a firm to say yes we've now rectified that and we we ask firms to try and give us feedback within a couple of weeks and we'll try and respond to that and that's my job to actually get in touch with the firms and to talk to them about the responses I think the common thing that is missed generally by new member firms is that there's a thing called the compliance tab, which actually has all the information in it that you need to help you know what you actually need to do in order to be compliant with the various rules and regulations that are required of you. And not using those boxes that have been provided and the tabs that are there, they're there to assist you. And I know it may feel sometimes that it could be irritating that we have to fill in all this stuff, but they're all there for a reason. And they're all there in order to protect you as a firm in the event of an investigation or something, complaint that actually comes up against your practice. So I think the thing I would recommend to everybody is to familiarise yourself with those tabs. And then if there are any queries and you don't understand them, then, then ask for help because Leap's always there available to you to give you assistance. Great stuff. Well, thanks so much to Paul for uh, taking the time to do that. I think that's really interesting. I think it really highlights some of the value of the best practice standards and also provides some reassurance regarding the process. But if you do have any questions for Paul, please feel free to drop me an email after today's event. So thank you. I know we've also got one of our existing best practice members. So uh, one of the members that's been with us from the start. So Mike Lehman from Bell Lamb and Jointson uh, is on the Zoom today. So Mike, I wonder if you wouldn't mind sort of just sharing your thoughts on the best practice standard in general and also the, the audit process that I know you've been through uh, numerous times now. When you first came to me over best practice, I think it was back in 2018, wasn't it, Craig? So we've been involved in the process for some time. It was a no-brainer to me. Um, the idea of having that fresh external pair of eyes looking at your own file reviews looking at your own processes your own systems is, is like a comfort blanket um, to us to because obviously we're going to miss things we get assessed in our ways the way we work and the way we operate and things do change quickly and so to have that external third party insight into the way you, you run your files and the way you operate is, is very reassuring from, from our point of view so it was a no-brainer we all used to toward it Lexile prime example and the stress that can cause firms and the efforts you've got to go into and it's not really a process designed to give you that confidence with regards to where you operate, whereas I think the Leap Best Practice Scheme enables you to feel reassured uh, that you are doing things right and also where you are weak and you do have weaknesses. Um, so we've benefited a great deal over the years in relation to suggested best practice areas where we're perhaps not 
doing up to the current standard. Sometimes we are, we are doing things, not recording it properly in the file, so it's obvious if someone to look at it quickly. And also some occasions when we um, we complete processes, we've changed that a little bit on, on the advice we've had from those regular audits. And I suppose the most important thing from a law firm point of view, it's incredibly painless. Um, it doesn't take any of our time. It takes no effort at all. We simply allow the team to access our files remotely, to look at the files and report back to us. Very quick, seamless process. We normally get the reports back in two or three days don't even know it's taken place we get the report and there it gives you a really good indication in relation to areas you need to consider um, risk and compliance which is obviously very important to, to law firms in this day and age uh, and then also allows you to revisit some issues with your staff and to retrain and refresh and the fact that it's something which is dealt with on a quarterly basis so each year you return to that specific element of, of the file operation as Paul was describing the onboarding the investigations and title completion and post-completion every year you're going back and revisiting that area to see how you're performing whether any improvements have come about as a consequence of the last audit and then gives you opportunity to refresh and review and revisit some of those issues so, so for example we had our audit recently so suggested we ought to do a lawyer checker as part of our compliance, which we were doing, but we weren't doing it probably early enough in the process. So we now brought that forward and do it into our onboarding rather than later on in the process. So again, it's giving you top tips and top ways of working your file without any sort of stress that comes with the normal orders you have and the normal external people looking at your files. It's like having a, an, an external consultant who's on your side trying to help you and trying to guide you in, in, in the very difficult times we face in terms of compliance and regulation, um, especially with regard to conveyancing, because we all know it's high risk well thanks that mike i mean i think that's a, an amazing summary so i'm mean, like we might as well just stop it there because i think you said it all that's that's great I appreciate your support and kind words and uh, yeah hopefully that again provides a bit of reassurance to existing and and potential future members and i know mike that obviously you've been a big, big advocate of the best practice standard i know you've been a utilizer of some of the, the the benefits that it provides and one of the aspects of best practice that we're looking at is obviously the implication it potentially has in terms of pi and i know you've been one to proactively speak with your providers in the past and i wonder how that sort of process has worked for you and what sort of feedback you've had it's been a, a really useful tool in the conversation we, we often have meetings for our underwriters in relation to our renewal process i think the first year we joined the best practice scheme which was very much in its infancy we achieved a 28 percent reduction in our pii premium which is obviously significant back in 2018-19 the market's changed since then clearly especially the last 12 months in terms of renewals but even this time around we just had our renewal in april it's really useful to go through the reports and the um the fact we go through this external audit process it, it tells us where we're weak, where we're strong, uh, and that's reassuring to underwriters to show that we do take risk and compliance seriously. We have systems in place. Checks and balances are absolutely key to an underwriter. It's all about prevention rather than cure, and the fact that we have steps in place to prevent issues and to highlight issues is a really useful in terms of that conversation. I know that we secure terms. I think most people saw some significant increases in their premium. We were told by our broker we'd had the smallest increase they'd seen because the way we operate and the fact we take this seriously and, and, and use these tools to our advantage is really helpful in terms of that process with regard to our PII insurance. Brilliant. No, lovely. Mike, thank you so much for, uh, for joining in today. And I think that's been really, really useful. And I think as Mike alluded to, and I think the insurance market we were in a, a few years ago is a, is a very different place now. So whilst we're not necessarily seeing the big discounts that perhaps we were able to, to discuss previously, you know, the implications of best practice hopefully will, will still benefit you in terms of um, you know, your, your premiums moving forwards. And I think that's a, a, probably quite a, a good 
segue to a conversation that I had recently with one of the uh, partners from a global insurance brokerage called Lockton, who you've probably heard of. And we've worked very hard with Lockton just to ensure that they understand the value of Leap. We don't have any sort of formal relationship, but again, they've, they've been really supportive of what, what we're doing and, and of our clients. And they really understand the value of Leap, overlaying that with best practice and also with the audit process. And, and again, like with Paul Wilkinson, I've just took a bit of time to, to uh, record an interview with uh, Brian Bomer from Lockton a couple of weeks ago. So uh, we're just going to play that video for you now just to give you some insight into that. My name is Brian Bomer. I'm a partner of Lockton. And Lockton are a specialist insurance broker to the legal profession of England and Wales. We represent approximately 1,600 legal practices of all shapes and sizes. We've sold practitioners to some of the largest practices in the United Kingdom. We're currently experiencing what is described as a hard market. This is where active capacity has eroded. Insurers are becoming more selective with assuming risk and rates and subsequently premiums are rising. Now, the good news is that the insurance market conditions are cyclical, but unfortunately, there are no signs of the current market conditions improving anytime soon. We expect market conditions to be prolonged for a period of time. Now, the catalyst for this environment is claims being experienced by the profession. Currently, the claims experienced by the legal profession are exceeding the premiums being paid, but the legal profession are, are not alone here. The professional indemnity market for all traditional professions is currently challenging and everyone's premiums are typically rising because of a claims environment. Now, achieving the LEAP best practice standard demonstrates that a practice is going the extra mile. It shows that they're committed to excellence. From an insurance perspective, it's importantly providing evidence that they're proactively managing risk. Whether you were a LEAP best practice client or not, we'd encourage all clients that we represent to provide help, provide us with a differentiator. Those BPS firms do so by having that standard. Having an external party validating you is incredibly powerful. And when we present a risk for insurer's consideration, it's important that we include evidence of this audit. And if there are aspects whereby the audit has recommended some improvements to be made, evidencing that you've made those improvements or providing a timeline of when that implementation is going to commence will be incredibly powerful. I think it's good to understand the magnitude of the marketplace. Up to 50% of the legal profession of England and Wales renew in October. So we could be vying for the attention of an underwriter with 5,000 other practices, all renewing at the same time, which could present quite a logistical challenge for the underwriting community, particularly if firms leave it late. So I think it's important that practices start the process early so they complete the relevant proposal forms and supplementary questionnaires as soon as they become available. Whilst you're waiting for those, check your claim summaries are accurate. Claims teams are going to be bombarded with requests for claim summaries in the peak renewal periods. So some of this work can be done like in the closed season. And if you've experienced claims, prepare a narrative on the claims because that will be expected of you. And also it's important to check your presence online, the presence online of you as a practice, but all of those fee earners too. Now, in terms of that timing of when your application, your presentation should be ready, the vast majority of the active insurers will be quoting from the 1st of August. Please ensure that you're ready for that date. The next thing I would suggest that people need to do is provide a quality presentation. Now, this should include a proposal form that's fully completed and make sure that the, um, the work split adds up to 100%. Your insurer claim summaries will be required. So make sure that these are recently dated. 
and provide a complementary document as supporting evidence. Now, this document should tell your story, what you do, the values involved in that work, who you do it for, but importantly, how you do it what you do to proactively mitigate the risks associated with your specialism. It's incredibly important. This is the moment for you to be proud, evidence the accomplishments and quality marks that you've got within your practice, including such documents as the audit, if you're a best practice firm. And the final recommendation I would do is choose the right representative. And what you may wish to consider is what is their direct access to leading insurers? What is the size and expertise of their team? Whilst no one wants to have claims, what is their claims proposition? What is the infrastructure in the event of you experiencing claims? Do they have the expertise to support you in your hour of need? And finally, is it a service proposition or a purely transactional? And you need to decide what you want from your representative. The biggest mistake that people make when completing their proposal, one could be not disclosing information, but a common mistake that people make is the disconnect between the proposal form and their online presence. Presentation is effectively your shop window to insurers, and it's important that each firm treat it as such. But also remember, it's not the only window a prudent underwriter will look into. So check your website and make sure that that's a true reflection of who you are and what you do. I appreciate that sometimes websites are about promotion of what we can do, but that will give insurers an impression. And if you're not doing high-rise commercial transactions, then don't have them on your website. Check the Law Society register is correct. It's an open source of information. Insurers will check that. We mentioned about the biggest mistake is about the online presence, but check your online presence. Search your firm and the fee earners. A prudent underwriter will absolutely do this as part of their due diligence into whether or not they're going to deploy their capital. And the final thing I would check is the review sites. The cyber risk to every professional practice is huge, especially if they have a client account. But also, they're going to be a large target for fraudsters because of the amount of data that they hold. The cost to a business in time and money in the event of a breach could be huge. And in the event of having a cyber insurance in place, it's basically your business continuity plan calls into action, having safeguarding your clients and your business in an hour of need. Should anyone wish for some guidance on what good looks like in terms of their presentation or simply want to utilise the services of, of Lockton, please get in touch with your LEAP representative who will coordinate that inquiry. The market is tough, but there is still value to be found and we're well placed to be able to support you and navigate the challenges ahead. As part of the best practice standard, we really want to make sure that members are experiencing as, as many benefits as possible, whether that's peace of mind from the audits, any potential savings from PI, or using it to attract new business and demonstrate service excellence to potential clients. New business isn't necessarily a big issue for a lot of firms at the moment, but as we come out of this period, then it, it may well become a, a more of a focus. So one of the things that we did when we first started the best practice standard was to look at how we can promote it or help firms promote their participation. And as you'd expect, we launched a standard sort of JPEG image that you could display on your emails and your websites and your supporting collateral. And certainly from experience, I know that a lot of firms that I, I saw putting on their website, they were stretching the image out. They were, weren't putting hyperlinks on there. They were changing the colors of it and it was really kind of losing its impact. So shortly after we launched the best practice standard, the SRA and the CLC both launched their, their digital smart logos, which I'm sure all of you now have on your websites. And we decided to follow suit. The reason the SRA launched this is to obviously help promote 
participation to the public, advise them on what the SRA is. And if you click through on the badge here, it talks to the consumer about the value added by the SRA regulation. What it also does is it provides a dynamic badge in terms of it's always got today's date clearly displayed on the badge, which sounds like a small thing. But I think that the main reason behind that is that it stops fraudsters replicating your website. So they can't just take a snapshot and put this on another website because it will be out of date very, very quickly. So I think it was a great addition from the SRA and also from the CLC to provide this sort of technology. Um, and that technology is provided by a company called Yoshki. So we actually investigated that and spoke to Yoshki and decided to replicate that. We've provided the digital smart logo. It's purely talking here about the value of best practice to a consumer. So it's really utilizing the click-through from that badge to a consumer to demonstrate what participation of best practice means and what the value associated to that consumer is. So again, it's providing that transparency from the consumer. It's not just saying we're doing something, it's actually showing you real hard evidence that you are participating and actively following the standard through. If anybody needs instructions on how to add that, it's a simple piece of code that needs to go into your website. I was about to say, even I could do it, but I probably couldn't. So um, but I'm sure you've got cleverer people around you who can help you with that. So we've now got 150 participating best practice members, and we're starting now to get approached by third parties, industry stakeholders that are interested in referring business into this unique sort of family of law firms, because you're all operating in a consistent and compliant fashion, which I think adds so much value. And some of you have recently been involved in a, in a pilot with us uh, with, with one such firm. So again, we're looking to develop that as we move forwards. So whilst much of what we've spoken about today has been based on processes and the use of technology, the final piece of the puzzle really is to ensure that members benefit from the latest industry and regulatory news, as well as have a, a forum, which I think is really useful in the community to be able to ask questions and seek answers. And to do this, we decided to work with Bold Legal Group, which is headed by Rob Halstone. We agreed with Rob that any best practice members can access his membership free of charge for at least 12 months, which I think is fantastic. And this ensures ongoing knowledge sharing and professional development across the group. And it's one of my favourite benefits. Benefits. Um, but I asked Rob to join us and give an overview of Bold and the synergistic value, value of the, the Bold membership and best practice. And also I asked Rob, an extremely influential figure in the world of conveyancing, he paid me to say that piece, to give his views on uh, what to expect in the coming six months, 12 months, and especially as we come out of the, uh, the stamp duty holiday. So again, I was going to say, Rob, are you there? But I can see you in front of me. So over to you, Rob. Hi, Craig. Yeah, thanks, Craig. A quick potted history for those of you who don't know me. I was a conveyancer myself for 30 years, becoming a HIP provider back in 2007. You know, please don't hold that as against me, as I was with the help of property lawyers producing a HIP that was as exchange ready as possible. And despite making good progress, my plans were scuppered, of course, in 2010 when HIPs were scrapped. It was then that I set up the Bold Legal Group. Now, Bold was supposed to stand for bundle of legal documents, but I soon realised that as the mandatory pack was not wanted, a voluntary pack would be even less, less so. I then became the eyes, ears, and sometimes the voice of the BLG membership, and that's their words, not mine. My first job going back to, to well, almost 10 years ago, I think, was to condense the new 700-page SRA tome, they called it a handbook, into a more readable 300-page handbook. That was a very laborious task, but they, they were grateful. Second up on my list was to take on HSBC when they reduced their conveyancing panel down to only 42 firms. I'm sure most of you remember that well. And along with a few others, I became a real thorn in their side. A number of my members had leaflets and posters uh, on display in their offices saying HSBC, home selling and buying compromised. I'd even rewritten the words to the YMCA song inserting the letters HSBC. Fortunately, HSBC reneged and extended their panel back to its original form before I went out and bought my Red Indian outfit. 
The Bold Legal Group is now just over 10 years old and has a membership of about 650 firms, and to copy Brian's phrase earlier, of all shapes and sizes. They carry out between them roughly 35% of all residential conveyancing transactions annually. The services I provide complement Leap's best practice services well. I send out a weekly information bulletin, which includes the SRA's fraud alerts and HMLR's updated practice notes, along with a whole host of other things. And we have a very active online forum now with over 500 regular participants. The forum in particular, which I set up a year ago, is a fantastic resource for all conveyancers, no matter what their experience is. I'm surprised at the number of questions that come up that I've never heard of before. And as I said, I've been in this business, well, decades now. The following question, for example, was posted on the forum at 11 a.m. this morning. And I'm quoting now. My client owns a property with his business partner in their respective names. He's effectively buying his partner's share for an agreed value of £105,000 and then remortgaging the property into his and his wife's names. I've calculated the consideration as 105,000 plus half the outstanding existing mortgage and put the total amount in as the consideration at panel eight. The solicitor acting for the business partner has said that the transfer is not correct as the mortgage that is outstanding needs to be mentioned and then the consideration. Question is, are they meaning that within the consideration box, I need to list them separately? I don't believe this is possible. Does anyone have any ideas? Well, even today with a week to go before you know what, two responses were posted within 90 minutes. Response one, you can simply use box three of panel eight, other receipts. I see no harm in setting out the two forms of consideration separately as the debt assumed and the money is paid. And response two, I would certainly list them separately as the 50% assumed debt will change. So I would manually insert that sum on completion bracket, reduce the higher rate of SDLT as much as you can. Now, whether you found that question taxing or not, I'm sure that some that are posted will be great interest and help. In fact, three more questions have been raised and answered today, some tenancy questions and a few others. We even have an SDLT expert, a compliance expert and a professional insurance indemnity broker on hand should we need their knowledge and expertise, which we do sometimes. I don't really have enough time today to tell you in full what we can help you with, but I've yet to receive a question or situation I've not been able to assist with in one way or the other. I even managed to find a buyer for a firm that was for sale last year. Not a service I'm offering every day of the week, but it's one of those things we can do. We also have BLG training for your CPD requirements and the soon to be launched Bold Legal Move. Now, Craig has kindly asked me to predict the future. Well, only a fool would try to do that. So here goes. And I'm going to be brief. The busy market will continue, I think, until the winter. Property prices will remain high until next year, when I believe there'll be some slight downward adjustment. The factors that have been driving this market aren't just SDLT, as, SDLT, as we know. It's being the pandemic and people wanting to move out of the cities and towns and high rises to the country and the coast, etc. I want to move on to something else slightly different now. I also predict, but don't really want to, that when the first signs show of a slowing market appear, some firms will drop their prices. And that is the last thing they should be doing. I had an article published recently in Property Industry Eye under the heading Solicitors and Conveyancers to Charge More, and in today's conveyancer under the heading CEO of the Bold Legal Group urges solicitors and conveyancers not to drop their fees. And even though I say it myself, it's well worth reading as are the comments that are posted. So if you haven't read it, you know, go to today's conveyancer or, or Property Industry Eye and have a look at the article. Some of the, the comments, of course, will, will shock you. And therefore now on a mission to make sure that conveyancers and firms keep their fees at the level they are currently at. Far too long, conveyancing and conveyances have been undervalued, underappreciated, underpaid and overworked. 
your responsibilities increase on a daily basis. PI premiums, as Brian's already indicated, are going to increase this year and probably next year. Not only will you need more money to pay them, but your brokers and professional assembly insurers will be far more comfortable insuring firms whose volumes have dropped slightly, but whose income has increased. I said earlier, only a fool would predict the future. Well, in my opinion, only a fool will lower their fees as it has taken decades to raise them to a decent level. Many of you come this time next week, or an hour ago maybe, will be burnt to a frazzle and will need some recovery time. Charging more and reducing your workload will help with that recovery. Thank you. I'm not sure we can argue with that, Rob. So uh, no, great contribution. So thank you for that. And um, I think going back to the, the bold bulletins, I mean, I think whether you're best practice member or not, I mean, I, I would certainly advocate for subscription because I think it's an invaluable resource for anyone working in conveyancing at the moment. You know, any uh, new members signing up to the best practice standard, providing you're not a, an existing subscriber of the bold membership, then we can provide you for 12 months membership free of charge, just so you can uh, get a taste of the, the benefits and the value that Rob provides. So thanks, Rob, and really appreciate your time today. What was the best contact details or email address for you, Rob? All h at boldgroup.co.uk brilliant thanks rob great and informative as, as, as always so yeah really appreciate that so that brings us to a conclusion i hope it's been a useful insight or a fresher to existing members i look forward to working closely with you and, and adding more value over the next four years thanks to our guests today please feel free to contact me if you've got any questions about the best practice standard or feel free to reach out to any of the uh, contributors today my details are craig.taylor at leap.co.uk um so again thank you all again for attending today's session we hope to see you all again in person very soon and uh, take care of yourself Thank you.